Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of God'll Get You For That Walter, a podcast about the hit TV show, Maud. And I am Tony Holmperm, joined by the illustrious... That Tomcat. That Tomcat. <laughs> and this is, our, this is our third episode. It's our third episode. And we're finally getting to the... the we're actually getting to the meat and potatoes the meat and of the potatoes. show. <laughs> or, the, or the pot roast and the mashed potatoes. The pot roast and the mashed potatoes. Which we'll get into that. The pot roast and the mashed potatoes. We actually uh, just finished watching the pilot episode of Maud. Yeah. And um, what it... What a great pilot episode it was. It was. It was very funny. Very funny, very poignant. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called Maud and the Psychiatrist. Yes. But, let, but let's but let's get to like the very beginning. Now it opens with that great with theme, that song. theme song. song. Which we almost started talking about before we almost started, started talking about before recording. recording it. I'm like, no, stop! <laughs> we have to save it for yeah, the recording. We have to save this for the show. So, um, yes, the, the great uh, Maud theme song. Uh, sung by the the great Donny Hathaway, Hathaway, who did a lot of songs with uh, mostly uh, Roberta Flack, like uh, the uh, "Closer I Get to You." You would know better than I. Um, I, I forget what what else he is. He sung, but he was he was a, a, an amazing amazing singer. No mm-hmm. longer with us, but um, and that theme song, like many of the Norman Lear shows, like. It good was a very catchy, good times of Jefferson family. family, very catchy songs that stick with you. Yes. That yes. stick with you, and yeah, and I don't know what what more to say about it. It's just, it's just, it's just they're they're most, if not all, of the Norman Lear productions had very very catchy um, theme very, songs, very catchy theme songs. Yeah, Maud being no exception, and Maud is no exception to the rule. And, absolutely, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you just you just hear that theme song start and you just you know it opens with that great piano that that great yeah. piano intro and then it just takes you right into and also one of the things that I love about Norman Lear shows is that you would get these great um pan shots these great panorama mm-hmm. shots of of the cities that they're in like yes. with with Maud it starts in the city mm-hmm. and then you you know you hit the the um Suburbs. I was going to say the Garbanzo bridge <laughs> The Tappanzee Bridge. Tappanzee Bridge. You hit the Tappanzee Bridge, and it just takes you from Manhattan all the way to Tuckahoe, New York. Tuckahoe, which I, for, I forgot that it was, they they, they were set in Tuckahoe. Yeah, they're set in Tuckahoe. <laughs> Tuckahoe. You know. And, you know, it's the same thing with All in the Family. It starts, where does it start? It starts in Manhattan, and then it tracks yeah. to, to Queens. Yes. And with Good Times, it's the same thing. It starts with that beautiful opening of the painting, mm-hmm. and then it shows you Chicago. Right. So I I just I appreciate that yes. I really do yes they all had great openings very good openings very memorable mm-hmm. so, I mean as as we're talking about them right now <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> which as we said you know this show will you know uh, of course our focus is on Maud but we will always be touching we'll on, always be touching on sitcoms of the day yes and even as you know sit, just sitcoms in general because that's. That's what made Maud so magical. It was in the pantheon of great situational comedies. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, the episode Maud and the Psychiatrist starts with Maud pacing around the house because Carol isn't home yet. She is late. She is late for, for dinner. dinner. And Carol, now played by Adrian Barbeau. Yes. Um, uh, who, as opposed to, as opposed to Marsha Rod. Rod. 
the cast the casting change was as we mentioned in, in the previous in the previous episode. Um, Adrian was cast because she was a little bit softer, she was a little bit more submissive, and she was also incredibly stacked. Yes. Yes. Um, without question. Without question, that was... She also seemed, I don't know what the actual ages were, but she seemed younger She seemed than younger than Marsha Rod. Right? Marsha played older. Yeah. Marsha definitely played older. I mean, that there was definitely, like, Marsha Rod seemed late Well, the way that they, the Adrian... Adrian I was going to say, twenties. Adrian, Car- so Carol, in following episodes, started at, I think, 26, mm-hmm. 26 or 27. But Marsha Rod, I definitely played more, like, early 30s. That's what it felt like, yeah. And it's it's interesting just to see the... Re- it, one of the things that I love about Maud is that it shows a very real relationship between a very narcissistic mother... Yes. ...and... Um, and a, and a child that just has been dealing with that for so many years. Yes. Um, to be touched upon later, Carol's character is a single mother, divorced, living at, at home with Maud and Tuckahoe, with her child, with her, her young child, Philip. Right. And, uh, you know, it's always very interesting to see the interaction between Maud and Carol. Mm-hmm. Especially with, you know, Adrian Barbeau in the role. Because as we had said... Um, in the last episode, Marsha, Rod, and B. Arthur had very strong, um, tense chemistry. Yes. Like, Marsha, Rod played Carol to be very much... Like, the, the, the relationship between Marsha's Carol and, uh, and Maud was very fiery. Yes. Very electric. Yes. Whereas with Adrian Barbeau and Maud, it almost seemed a little bit more human. Yes. Um, because as much as argue, from from my perspective, from my own personal perspective, uh, Marsha and uh, Marsha and B had more of a um, equal footing. Equal footing, definitely equal footing. Yes. Whereas with Adrian and B, it was a little bit. Um, Maud had the upper hand. Maud always had the upper hand. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't quite get that dynamic in the uh, all in the family. Yeah. Episode with with um, Maud and Marsha Rod as Carol. It yeah. seemed like they were like they were much more on an, on an equal footing. Yes, and sort of were you know diametrically opposed. Whereas now in this pilot ep- the pilot episode with Adrian as Carol, it's much more of like Maud is the domineering mother, and and Carol is definitely feeling under her mother's thumb. Yep. Didn't and that relationship pretty is is pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. That relationship was pretty consistent through the entire run of the show, right? Um, uh, until like the last season when Adrian just sort of wasn't around because she right. was busy doing. I think she was busy at the time doing Grease. Um, it just couldn't devote couldn't devote all of her time to the show. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a conversation for later. For later. Um. So of course, so Maud is like you know. Beside herself, because Carol is late, and she's figuring out Carol's been late for, like, the past uh, month on every Tuesday, Mm -hmm. and she's, you know... But, I mean, even before that, we're introduced to Ed Begley Jr. Oh, that's right, that's right, the the doorbell rings. The doorbell rings, and uh, um, on the other side is this young, very young... Very and Ed Begley Jr. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember other roles that I've seen him in. Um... And nothing really 
springs to mind. Was wasn't he in I'm saying elsewhere? I I think so. He was like one of the one of the doctors. That sounds I'm, serviceable I'm to elsewhere. Yes, I forget his other roles, but so it's one of the things that you'll notice about any type of sitcom is that sometimes you'll see people over and over and over, over and over and over in again. different roles, usually. in different roles, but also you get to see actors burgeoning mm. actors yes. playing these small bit parts. Right, right. Um, I think of I think of the Golden Girls, like Arsenio Hall was in one of the earliest episodes in the earlier as, a, as a cop. You know, um, well, not Arsenio George Hall. It was um, it wasn't Arsenio. It wasn't Arsenio Hall. It was in the first episode. It was oh, he was in Designing Women. He played Anthony. Oh, Meshach Taylor. Yes. Okay. Meshach Taylor was. But also in, a George Clooney. George Clooney was, was, in, was in it. it. Um, oh Burt Reynolds, but Burt Reynolds that at that time, yeah, was that a, was, was like a celebrity. Yeah, that was him doing um, a cameo, really. Yeah, that's that's very true. You know, I, I, I say I said that, and I should not have said that, but it's okay. That's okay. It's but again, fun. with with sitcoms, you'll have big celebrity guests. Mm-hmm. You'll have mm-hmm. smaller like actors that became really, really, really big. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always fascinating to see the yeah, to sit. Of course, and uh, we'll we'll get to Helen Camp in just a moment, who's a fabulous. Fabulous character actress that was in a lot of sitcoms of the day. Like mm-hmm. I believe she was in Good Times. I think she was in uh, All in the Family, and she she obviously played a very she uh, she played a very she played a lot mm-hmm. of very funny female characters in Maud. Um, but so we're introduced to Ed Begley, and again in true to form Maud fashion, yes. we see her pretty much raking this guy across the coals because yes. he's trying to sell magazines door to door, posing as a, a Vietnam War veteran, and and you know, B. Arthur says, "Oh, I too was in Vietnam uh, as a as a fo- uh, as a foreign correspondent," correspondent. <laughs> yeah, and it just amazes me how like you know the character is just so so quick. To like come up with something, I'm like, I wish I could be that quick in real life. Yes, you know, and of course, you know, and she says, and she says, you know, and which unit were you in? And and I know I everyone. Know everyone. So the guy is he, Ed Begley Jr. Is just Ed like coming on and on, like stumbling yeah. the words. Yeah, and he's like, you're selling magazines, aren't you? And he's yes, and he nods yeah. reassuringly. Yeah. And she goes, and you're rotten. <laughs> and it's just you know, it's one of those things where I'm like. I could never imagine. Oh, I know. I, I don't think that there is a Maud that exists outside of Maud. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever met a woman that was like no. so so sharp and no. so like acerbic. No. Outside of myself when I'm in drag. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it is very true. Like, as soon as I put the wig on and I see my face, I'm like, all right, we're B. Arthur. Let's yes. roll. <laughs> So, the episode continues. Mm. Maud slams the door in Ed Begley Jr.'s face. Right. And the, the just... I love so much the relationship between Maud and Walter. Mm-hmm. I really do. Walter, all this time, has been sitting on the couch reading reading the paper. Right. And while Maud is like, I'm so worried, I'm so worried, I'm so worried, Walter is being very blasé. Right. And um, Maud immediately thinks that Carol's having an affair. Having an affair. Because... Why else would a daughter not be home when, when dinner is ready? Right. Um, and Walter, in his infinite wisdom, says... Well, no, the, the two of them just go back and forth with each yeah. other. Like, he says, bowling. Maybe Carol's bowling. Right, she's bowling. Um, 
Because that makes all the sense in the universe. <laughs> so the the dynamic between between Maud and Walter is definitely uh, definitely not what would be considered normal at the time. Because at the time, the husbands were always very commanding and imposing and tall and just very, very like, I'm the breadwinner, I'm the I'm the brains of this outfit. Totally the opposite of All in the Family, which the show sprung from. Yes, where you have the very submissive Edith, mm-hmm. and you have the very aggressive and domineering, domineering Archie. Archie. Yes. So it's, it's very interesting, especially during that time, to see the woman being so... Dominant, I guess, would be the appropriate yes. word to use. See, the yeah. world being so dominant. Yes. And, uh, you know, things like that just happen. Yes. That was how that was how Maud was written. Maud was written to be this sort of domineering, um, uh, very dramatic force. Mm-hmm. Especially later on in the episode. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Maud was, she was literally wearing the pants. Literally wearing the pants. And, and, I, and I'm sure that was... Deliberate. Oh, very to deliberate. Put her in, in like pantsuits. B. Arthur definitely wanted to be comfortable. She was always a very, always she was very eccentric, but she always wanted to be very comfortable in her clothing. Mm-hmm. Like you would never see her in like a form-fitting gown. You would never see her in something overtly feminine and overtly sexy. Right. Like you'll see that in, in, in certain episodes and whatnot. But that was also probably because Norman Lear said, you know, B. We're gonna put you in this. And, yeah. And are you okay right, with that? Yeah. Just asking. Just asking these questions because you'll see, you'll you will definitely see. We will definitely see that mm-hmm. there are times when Maud will be relatively feminine, and there's even there were even a couple of jokes made in certain episodes where it's uh-huh. like you're not. Where I think even Walter would say someone who's not overly sexy. Like he he, if I'm not mistaken, he said to Maud that. Some it was some some line somewhere about Maud not being feminine uh-huh. and not being like quote unquote sexy, right? And it was it was one of those moments in time where I'm like, wow, it it does make sense in a really 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 obnoxious way, true. Um, because you know back then women were supposed to be again coquettish. Wear the dresses, wear soft, the, very soft, demure, very submissive, feminine, very much so. And Maud yes. was not. She was not. <laughs> she was not. She would wear the long vests and the pants and like I mean, even when I saw her in a skirt with stockings, I'm like, that doesn't look like Maud. Right. That doesn't look. Like, that doesn't look like the B. Arthur that I know. No. So it's always it's always very interesting to see the costume choices that were made, and the costumes were done by Rita Riggs, mm-hmm. um, who is who is no longer with us. Um, but it, it's just, it's so fascinating to see the costume choices that were made for mm-hmm, the show. Mm-hmm. And even Walter was very, was in very schlumpy clothes. Yeah. But very comfortable clothes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's always fascinating to, like, ask the question, what was the costume supervisor, what was the costume designer thinking when she would put? Obviously, Adrian Barbeau was a very voluptuous, very, very, um... I'm trying to think of the right term here without sounding offensive. But she had the hourglass figure. Right. She had that shape to her body. And her costumes evoked that. Yes. Like the the outfit that she wore when she entered. She was in this very tight-fitting... Um, blue dress. Pretty... I want to say it was an above-the-knee yes. blue dress. Yes. Uh, with knee-high boots. Blue. Very, very attractive outfit. I was much more pleased with her outfit, with Carol's outfit in this episode... 
Then in the uh, All in the Family trial episode with trial Marsha Rod was in that orange uh, peasant that was, that was skirt. That was an outfit. And and the, it was like very it was very seventies Harvest Gold very orange. 70s. The only thing I liked about it, as I said in the last episode, was the belt. I liked the, the belt. belt was the best part of the outfit. The rest of the outfit I didn't like, but I I, I do approve of Carol's. Even outfit. Adrian's hairstyle was very yes. like. A, very modern for that time. Yeah. Like, it was very, um, we'd have to ask your husband, but very, very poofy, but yeah. still very, very attractive. Whereas Marsha Rods was very, very 70s. Very yes. slick, very long Caesar cut. Yes. Which is the only way that I know how to say it, because I don't know hairstyles all that well. Yes. But Carol was dressed, um, really, like the way that I remember my mom going to work, because my, my mom was a working yeah, mother in the 70s, and uh, that was, you know, I remember my mom dressing like that mm-hmm. to go to work. So it was it was a very realistic approach to the uh, costuming. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things that you sort of like have to, like, when watching sitcoms, you're watching theater. True. And when you watch things on theater, the costumes will evoke something when it comes to the characters. Mm-hmm. And you know you'll see you'll see Vivian in later episodes in these very sort of lush, um, very feminine, very frilly. Like you'll see her in chiffon gowns. Mm-hmm. You'll see her in like um, you'll. I don't think I've ever seen Vivian in a button up. Uh huh. Like she was always, especially after they knew the direction that they wanted to take Vivian's character in. Right. Um, in these sort of very hyper, hyper feminine, feminine outfits. And Maud was always very, like, wearing the pantsuits and right. wearing the, the long vests and... Uh, those those scarves. Oh, the scarves. Like, like, she like, was always covered. Yes. There was always a part of the Yeah, I, I brought that up the last time, I, I think, about, you know, wondering if, you know... She didn't like her, you know, maybe she felt she had too much of, like, a turkey waddle. Possibly. You know, it's possible. I mean, that I was... I can sympathize with. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get nervous, you know, when November comes. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's true. Like, Maud always wore... Like, her outfit was very much a staple of who she was as a character. Yes. Very much a masculine... Um, very unfeminine type of type of cut. Um, the only thing that made that made Maud feminine was that she was chesty. B. Arthur was a very chesty person at the time. Yes. And it wasn't until after Maud that she had the double mastectomy and she had a facelift mm-hmm. and she sort of just had this colossal overhaul of herself. Mm. And, uh, you know, good for her for doing that. Oh, sure. Good for her for doing that. She, she was all, B. Arthur was always a master of her own destiny. And uh, if I could afford it, I'd be in Dr. Joseph's office <laughs> every week. I'd be, I'd be like, you know, just pull all the excess skin up at the top of the head, tie it in a knot, and, and you know. And chop off the chop, slack. Chop, chop off chop the excess. Off the slack. <laughs> <laughs> so the episode does continue, and uh, Carol enters with glasses. Sunglasses on. Sunglasses in the house. Dark, obviously, dark sunglasses. Obviously, something happened. Right. Um, 
And, uh, you know, one of the things that always amused me was when Carol said, shouldn't you be at the hospital seeing Eleanor Halsey? Oh, that's right, because we forgot. We forgot to mention that. We forgot that. to mention that, that, that Walter was saying that Maud wasn't Maud's friend, Eleanor Halsey, was having a hysterectomy, and right. Walter, being a man, says, oh, that's no big deal. Oh, People no are doing deal. it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, you've never had one, Walter. Right. You don't have the parts for that. Like, as if it was having, like, you know, root Tons canal. Yeah, like, it was just nothing. And, you know, and they, that actually... But that was what they used to call it. They called it a south-of-the-border tonsillectomy. Oh, did they? Sometimes, I mean, I, I, never heard I definitely that have heard that. I've, I've heard that in the show. And, uh, I mean, obviously, if it was said in the show, there's always a grain of salt that you have to take with it. But it was one of those moments where I'm like, did they really say that? Did they really call a hysterectomy a south of the border tonsil? I'd never heard that. So, but you know, talking about women's health issues back then, it was like any time a woman had any kind of gynecological issue, you know, the doctors they they just immediately wanted to perform a hysterectomy. And the thing is, like, you know, the uterus is just as as important. an organ to a woman as the testicles are to, to a man. man, you know, and it's... And, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty glad you bring that up, because especially during the 70s, vasectomies were becoming a big thing. Yes. Vasectomies were becoming a big thing. Hysterectomies yes. were, be, were becoming a big thing. And, you know, sometimes they were called fads, sometimes they were called... But ultimately, one of the things that a lot of people felt was that if you got a vasectomy, you wouldn't, you weren't, you were no longer considered virile. You were no longer considered a man. Hmm. If you had a vasectomy, if you had a vasectomy, if you had a hysterectomy, you were no longer considered a woman. You were no longer considered feminine. And this was, this was what was in people's minds at Mm -hmm. the time Mm -hmm. because they were so worried that if they had this surgery done, oh, there would be a, um, you would end up growing hair on your face as right, a woman. Right. You would end up uh, putting on so much weight if you got a hysterectomy. You just all of these, all these things would happen to you if you if you had if you had gotten a hysterectomy. Right, and you know that was the mentality for a really long time. Yeah, and even doctors would even doctors some doctors not some. all doctors uh, some doctors would actually make people. Afraid to get these procedures done. Mm. Even though sometimes they were medically necessary. Yes. There, there were a lot of times, though, where, um, you know, as far as hysterectomies, they they weren't necessary. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of, you know, especially male gynecologists that, you know, they're like treatment for everything. You know, if a woman had an issue, their solution was just, you know, perform a hysterectomy on them. In and short, the American healthcare system has always been questionable, yeah, even even prior to to today. Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, it was like looking at the woman. Well, you know, she had her kids. She's in her forties. She's done with the. She's done with the uterus. Let's yeah. just let's, let's just, just rip it out it. of her. Let's just take it. Out. And you know, which you know, fortunately, I mean that has that has it has changed. Aged. It has that aged. has changed. You know, I don't think you see um, hysterectomies being performed. You know, with the frequency that they they were back then. Yeah, but I, I mean, yeah. hysterectomies were mentioned a number of times in the series. Whether it was in jest, whether it was very serious, um, they it was it was a product of the time to have yeah. that mentioned, especially because they had they had a doctor character. They had mm-hmm. Doctor Arthur Harmon, right? And uh, like for all uh, for all the 
for all the Republican nonsense that they had Conrad Bain spew, oh they actually made the cat. They actually took advantage of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, doctor, they, they took advantage of his doctor title. Right. And, you know, the writers had to do probably a lot of research, even today. Mm-hmm. Uh, writers for sitcoms and TV shows, they need to do research when it comes to, like, what happens in Grey's Anatomy that does not happen outside of that. That, that, that there's a, Grey's Anatomy is a very drama-filled... I've like, never seen it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very drama Sometimes you see these storylines and it's like, that's impossible. Right. I don't, but regardless of that... When you have a doctor character, there does need to be a certain amount of research done. So I can only right. imagine that that's what the writers had to do during, of course. during, the, during the show. Of course. So the episode continues. So Carol's upset. Carol is very distraught, very upset. And uh, um, when when Carol goes into the kitchen, mm-hmm. before, before, the, before the conversation even continues, Walter says, maybe she has a black eye. And uh, why why would you say that to a mother? Right. Why would you say that to your wife, your stepdaughter? Why? Why yeah. would you say that? And uh, again, just a product of its time. Yeah, because I'm sure back back then, you know, uh, domestic violence um, was just sort of hushed up, and a lot of times, you know, uh, oh. a, a woman whose husband slapped her around and maybe gave her a black eye. She would, you know, just put on a pair of sunglasses to try and hide it. And, you know, it would... Because if they tried to report it to the police at that time, a lot of times, uh, most of the time, mm-hmm. the police would just be like, oh, well, it's, it's a, you know, this is a domestic incident. We can't get involved. Thankfully, that has changed so much. So much. But, I mean, even domestic abuse survivors... Um, uh, it's 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 traumatic. It's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of trauma for a human being to go through. And there are some people that will say, "Oh, well, it's no big deal." It's it, it, like the excuses that you've heard all of those years ago. People will still use today. True. And uh, you know, there's there's a lot that does need to be. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of domestic abuse. Absolutely. And uh, does it still happen? It still happens. It's still it is still very much a thing. Yes. Which, you know, only speaks to the uh, poignancy of the show mm. that it will still have. The, like, one of the, again, one of the reasons why we started doing this was because, and even one of the reasons why I started doing Mod Live was because a lot of the conversations that are being had today were had 40, 50 years ago. Right. So. And we're still having them. And we're still having the same conversations. The same conversations. So it's again one of the reasons why I wish that Maud that Maud would do better in syndication. Absolutely, but again, it's a darker comedy. Yes, it's definitely a darker comedy that deals with a lot of heavy hitting issues. I think even when uh, when they started doing the show, like uh, B. Arthur had said that every episode during the first season was there was a big issue being talked about or right. being handled. Every single episode, which you know during uh, during the seventies was a very big deal. Yes, because uh, you know you wouldn't have a lot of uh, 
you wouldn't have a lot of those episodes. Like, you wouldn't right. have very hard-hitting episodes. Like, maybe once in a while to sort of, like, break up the comedy and break up the, the buffoonery. Mm-hmm. But with Maud, it was like every episode right. was hard-hitting. And, every and you know, I was, I was thinking about it. Really, before All in the Family, the mainstay of, of CBS, it was like um, the Beverly Hillbillies... Petticoat Junction. It was all those sort of very uh, Green Acres. Yeah, those were the the shows, the comedies that were like the mainstay, and you know they're very you know very fluff and very you know non confrontational. Didn't deal with anything controversial. And then you have Maud, where everything where is controversial. Everything is controversial. It everything. Is, it was a complete like one hundred and eighty degree uh, turnaround from what CBS had been doing. So really, you know, changed the landscape of landscape of, of situational of, of comedy situational changed, comedy. especially yes. when when All in the Family and Maud sort of like entered the fold. Absolutely. So another thing worth pointing out is that psychiatrists yeah. were uh, so Carol ends up admitting to Maud after Maud does this brilliantly guilt-ridden act to yes. try and get information out of Carol. Um, Carol says, yes, I'm seeing a psychiatrist. Right. After Maud asks her, are you seeing a psychiatrist? Which, during that time, if people if people knew that you were going to talk to a psychiatrist, you they thought that you were going to see a head shooter. Right. Right. That you were going to see somebody to, like, fix your problems with pills, and there was, there was so little known about mental health. Uh, at the time, that has changed so drastically in the last couple of years, but it's still there's still a stigma behind it. Yes, although at that time in the in the in the seventies, and I, I can remember this, people were starting to get into things like uh, I think it was called EST, EST, mm-hmm. and transcendental meditation, and there was this growing awareness of like people wanting to sort of. You know, find their you know their their inner selves yeah. and starting to explore things things of that nature. So I think that's why you know this you know psychiatry was was brought in there because and people were also start you know starting like you know um, therapy and therapy groups like we see it uh, you know it's so uh, it's a ubiquitous now <laughs> that there's like there's like support groups for like absolutely everything. And that's, you know, and it really, it started back then mm-hmm. with, you know, uh, support groups and, and, and therapy groups for, like, people with, with different uh, issues. And so, um, you know, that's really where that, that's where it all started. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't know no, what my point is. No, I think that, I mean, that, no, that's a brilliant. I stunned you. That, you did. <laughs> I mean. I made her speechless. It wasn't. It was. It was the. It was the way that they used ubiquitous. Oh, I was not. I had to pull that out. That. I, had I was to pull not that out of my hat at all. I, I look up a word before every episode. <laughs> oh, I have to use this this big word. <laughs> so that's you know that was part of what was going on in the seventies. There mm-hmm. was there was a lot of breakthroughs. Yes, I think there was yes. a, there was a lot of you know new things happening. Like in the sixties, you had uh, you had peace and love. You had well, and also the re- re- rebelling against the establishment. Yeah, you had rebelling against the establishment. 
And then when the, the 70s was all about confrontation, it was all about having these conversations that yes. were hard-hitting. Yes. So it only stood to reason that the progression of time will just lend itself to creating that sort of environment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Maud, bless, bless its heart, definitely tried to do that in a number of episodes, just like having these very hard-hitting uh, hard-hitting episodes where all of these things were discussed. And, and can we just point out that when they served dinner, Walter said it was pot roast. and It I, looked I, like meatloaf. It looked like meatloaf. I'm sorry. It looked like meatloaf. It was, it was not was, pot roast. It was not a pot roast. <laughs> it was not a pot roast. So, uh, <laughs> I love those writers. Uh, God, no, the prop maker. Why, should, why couldn't they have said meatloaf? Why couldn't they have said meatloaf? I, I don't know. I guess. Oh, is pot roast what? more upper class than a meatloaf? I guess so. It's more, it's more the amount of times that pot roast is upper middle class and meatloaf is <laughs> lower middle class. <laughs> I think is I think was the issue. The amount of times the beef stroganoff was mentioned on this show, like was that was that a thing? Was beef that a, stroganoff? Yes, that was that was big in the seventies. Really? Yes, it was. <laughs> I didn't. I did not know that. You know, I did not know that. Yes, uh, fr- French cooking, you know, especially because of Julia Child, became very big in in the seventies. So, like beef stroganoff, beef bourguignon, all that stuff, sort of like you know. It, 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 became, just, it was the thing. It was, it was the, the, thing, it was the, the thing. Fondue. I remember that's when fondue became very big. Like everybody, you know, had like their fondue uh, sets, and it was it was you know very you were very sort of classy if you had like a, a fondue party and <laughs> you know. Oh yes, that's that is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um. So <laughs> so oh the Lord. episode continues with. Carol and Maud basically having a big old argument, and and what's interesting is Carol is saying she's going to the psychiatrist. She wants to learn how to deal with her problems on her own, but she mentions how she doesn't remember anything from like the age of three, three till the age of ten. of ten. Now, nowadays, if we were hearing that now in 2021, if somebody were to say that they, they couldn't remember anything from a certain point in their childhood, knowing that Maud, you know, had, you know uh, was married and divorced a number of times, to me, the first thing I would think is this person may have suffered sexual abuse, and that's why they don't rem- remember anything from their childhood. It's one of the things that I've actually had to tell myself a number of times where I'm like, that is a theory. It's a fan theory, but it stands to reason. From the it, that's th- that is seven years. Yeah, that's seven years of trauma that this person had endured. Right. Whether it was emotional abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, and again, Maud was the type of person that had a number of partners. Right. Whether they were romantic partners, whether they were partners that she ended up marrying, because she'd been married four times. Right. And, uh, and you don't know if they were, like, you know, um, boyfriends oh, yeah. in, in the mix either. I mean, that, that could have been possible, too. So it, it's definitely a very, very real thing that could have possibly happened to the character right. of Carol. I, I was even thinking that, really, it, it could have, um, she could have had, like, um, uh, they don't call it multiple personality disorder. Now they call it disassociative. I think disassociative. Disorder. Yeah. Where, you know, you sort of, you know create, like, different uh, personalities to um, protect yourself and, you know, block off the trauma and create a new uh, self to um, cope 
with with the abuse and to to survive. It's it's a it's a survival mechanism. And I was like, you know, so watching that now, knowing what we know in twenty twenty one, oh, it's scary. Yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. I mean, I'm sure that you know when people watching that episode back then. Would they not, they would not have put two and two together? Like yeah, that. I mean they would have said, "Oh, maybe she's just you know they'll just come up with some cock and bull excuse." Yeah, that, like, oh, she just didn't want to. She just didn't want to remember, or she she did remember, but she just didn't want to think about it. Or exactly, something like that. But but in today's day and age, that could very easily be looked at as someone who had survived some form of sexual abuse. Absolutely, I mean I, I'm sure, like you know, if if somebody came to me and said, you know. Having Carol's um, exact, like, uh, specific living arrangements and, and saying, you know, she didn't remember anything from 3 to 10 and the, the mother had, you know, different partners and all this. I mean, that would be the first thing my mind would go to yeah. now is thinking, honestly, when I, when I, so years ago when I first started watching Bar, um, I heard that and I'm like, well, that's, that's a little weird. Now, I started watching what I want to say, like, maybe... 10, 11, 12, 13 some odd years ago. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in my when I was in my teens. And I didn't think much of it. Right. And then the more I started watching it now, I'm like, oh. Right. Carol has seen some shit. Yeah. Carol has been through some stuff. Um and it's it's really it's interesting because that is the last we ever hear of it, I think. Oh, is it? I think that's the last we ever hear of her mm. of her prior traumas. Hmm. So very interesting. I think so too. Yeah, I definitely think so too. So yeah, that's. I too have had the same thoughts. So we're we're definitely in the same boat on that one. I mean, I don't know. Well, you know, with everything that we know nowadays, I don't know how anybody could hear that and not think and not immediately think of that. Yeah. So interesting. And that's one of the reasons why we have this episode to address these issues that were talked about. And to have the conversation that that was being had back then. Because, again, no one knew. No. No one didn't ask questions about that. They just would have assumed, oh, well, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Nowadays, that would be, that that would, yeah, obviously, that yeah. we've said that three times already. That would be the first thing that we would think of. Yeah. Well, in that environment of the, of the you know, early 70s, you were still in that, coming out of that, 50s mentality where, you know, you had to keep up appearances, uh-huh. and, you know, things had to be kept quiet and swept under the uh, the table, under the carpet, you know. It just wasn't talked about. No. It wasn't talked about. Not, not talked about. And but the sad thing is, it's also happening today. Still happening. It's still happening today. Uh, yep. So, what does that tell you, friends? That tells you that... We still have work to do. We still have a long we way to go. still have a long way to go. Still a long way to go. So, Maud says to Carol, if you leave under these circumstances, you need never come back. Which, because Carol is because saying, she's saying that she should have moved. Yeah. Because if she had moved out, she wouldn't be dealing with all of these stressors and whatnot. Right. Because if you if you watch Maud, you know that Maud can be a little bit of a stressful character. Yeah. <laughs> just a tad of Just a little bit. Just, just a little a overbearing. Um, so Carol ends up leaving, and Maud goes to Walter, why did I say that? And then Walter, bless his love and heart, says, well, you were such a rotten mother, you probably figured you'd go all the way. Mm-hmm. And then Maud bites his hand. Bites his hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, the following scene involves the fabulous character actress, Helen Camp. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, the character just literally... Mrs. Manley. I, I, I remembered her name. I, I, he did mention her name. She was playing Mrs. Manley. Perfect. <laughs> so we have Mrs. Manley. Mrs. Manley. And... <laughs> in, in doc, sitting in Dr. Stern's, in Dr. Waiting, Stern's room. waiting room. And uh, Maud is like, I have I have no plan of action. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And uh, in short, Maud takes Mrs. Manley's appointment. Yes. She... Through a very, very humorous, but still very seriously warped and twisted way of doing it. Yes. Because, um... Sort of implying that she'll do grievous grievous bodily harm to Mrs. Manley if she doesn't let her have her uh, appointment Correct. with Dr. Stern. And, you know, it only it only speaks to, to the fact that B. Arthur is such... Like, it, to see... Helen Camp and B. Arthur standing next to each other, like, B. Arthur dwarfed Helen Camp. Mm-hmm. Like, she was very much like, and she, I think she was even in heels. Oh. I think B. Arthur was like in tiny little, um, mm, like, kitten heels. Kitten heels. And just to see. I don't wear kitten heels. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. Don't do I either wear flats or I wear, or I wear plums. <laughs> so, seven inch platforms for me. Oh my god. <laughs> I could never. Otherwise, I, 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 I'm like, Otherwise you get no involved. one sees me. No one see, it sees me. <laughs> so, Mrs. Manley leaves and well, runs, 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 we should say, <laughs> runs away. And, and, and then Dr. Stern enters and they have a, they have a brief back and forth and, and, and Dr. Stern is able to is able to figure out exactly, exactly who, who, is. who she is without her even telling, apparently from everything Carol has told him about I, her. I think that this was almost I'm trying to remember when HIPAA when HIPAA laws were written. I don't know if they were written in the fifties, sixties, seventies. Because I know that one of the things that Dr. Stern said was when when Maud entered the office and had the conversation about like Carol, my right. daughter. She wants to discuss she Carol. She wants to discuss Carol, and Doctor Stern says you can't do that. It's it breaks the um, Doctor Patient Doctor Patient confidentiality clause. Yes, which I'm trying to think if that that had to have been uh, that had to have been HIPAA mm-hmm. at the time. That had to have been HIPAA. Yeah, and uh, obviously Maud relents and says. Okay, we won't talk about my daughter Carol, and that was that was a point that was made by the doctor that ca- that well he sees he, he she starts writing something and she's like she wants to know what is he writing what are you writing yes because she knows she's seen enough she's movies she's seen to enough know. movies to know he's not <laughs> writing a note to the milkman that was too funny like one of the things that I can say about Maud is that the writers definitely had a good hold on how they wanted to present this character. And they wanted to present Maud in a very a very aggressive way because mm-hmm. that was just not the norm back then. And, you know, Maud really broke the mold for female characters from that yeah. point forward. Yeah. Um, so, uh, moving forward. <laughs> yes. Um, my daughter was mentioned a number of times. Either my either she referred to Carol as my daughter or, or my, my Carol. Carol, never just Carol. So to go back to that point, it's possible that Maud may have known 
that Carol was being sexually abused mm. because that's a very possessive thing to say. Right. Like, this is my Carol. This is right. my daughter. Like, right. I know that something had to have happened to my daughter in order right. to make, make me feel this sort of way. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a very uh, hard thing to address. It's definitely a very hard thing to address. And the only way that Maud at the time probably knew how to do it was just to hold her daughter so close right. and, and to like not let anybody harm her. Right. While also at the same time letting her daughter be free and independent. Right. So it's there's there's a lot of layers when it comes to this character. There's a lot of layers when it comes to this show. And um, moving forward, the doctor, Dr. Stern. Mm-hmm instead of discussing Carol, is discussing Maud and Maud's trauma. Mm-hmm. So we also get a mention of Maud's, Maud's mother. mother, who was five foot eleven and a half in her stocking feet with a, a voice, voice that, that could shatter glass. And, uh, you know, it it's again a product of its time where narcissism is a hereditary trait, apparently. Yes. Where you have this probably very aggressive mother mm-hmm. giving all of this nonsense and and trauma and abuse and whatnot to Maud, and then Maud also giving it to, to Karen. Right, right. And it's just, you know, that's, that's still happening today. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many people undergoing and dealing with so much... Verbal abuse and physical abuse and mental abuse mm-hmm. and all of these things from their parents. Yes. That you have, you either have a choice. You're either going to deal with your trauma and and talk to a therapist or talk to a psychiatrist, or you're going to impart that same abuse on your on your child. And that's typically what happens. A, a, an abused child, uh, in a lot of instances, grows up to become an abusing an parent. abusing parent. Yeah. So, unfortunately, unfortunately, that's that is that is how it happens. Sadly, true. Now we are not we are not trained professionals. No. We are not the only thing we're trained in is makeup and drag. That's true, and even that 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 is questionable. Even <laughs> depending on, depending who, you on ask. who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, yes, we only know so much, and we can only speak on, and this is something that we'll be addressing a number of times throughout the show, we can only speak from a white queer experience. We cannot speak from a black experience. We cannot speak from a Latinx um, experience. We cannot speak from any other marginalized group outside of being white, queer, and um, gender fluidity. With that said, we move on. Yes. Um... So the episode continues. Maud ends up coming home from the doctor's office. Now she, she's in the sunglasses. In the sunglasses. Yes. And Walter says, I think she's having an affair. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's it's one of those things that I love so much about their relationship. Because, you know, Maud needs a sort of anchor. Because without an anchor, like, she yeah. would just... She would just have too much free reign. Yeah. And I don't think the creators of the show wanted Maud to, like, be able to get away with everything. No. So Maud is sort of this... So Walter is sort of this great anchor for Maud. Right. And a great foil to her. Right. Um, because, you know, you'll have... Obviously, you'll have Conrad Baines, um, Arthur Harmon being this mm-hmm. very aggressive Republican to Maud's very democratic and liberal way of thinking. 
Uh, you'll have Vivian, who's very who's very submissive and, and 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 flowery and fluffy, and then you'll have Carol, who's very submissive to Maud. But Walter is sort of this this wonderful, uh, wonderfully well written character, sort of just put Maud in her place, right? Because there's so few characters in the show that can do that. Like there are times even like even when we were watching um, the last episode. Mm-hmm. Walter would say, Maud sit. sit. Yes, Maud sit. And Maud would go and sit down. Yes, yes. So it's all, it was always nice to see the relationship between, uh, between Maud and Walter. Mm-hmm. Um, so the episode continues, and uh, Maud and Carol end up making amends, mm-hmm. and uh, basically that's the way the episode... Well, no, you're, you're glossing over, I'm some, glossing over things. some things. <laughs> Carol is, you know, she starts asking Maud, you know, have you been crying? And then she... she no, I have a black eye. Right, right. <laughs> and then is asking her, you know, did, did you... Have, are, are you seeing a psychiatrist? And then it comes out that she's seeing Carol's she's psychiatrist. Seen Carol's psychiatrist. And now Carol goes, you know, she's went from being... Carol goes from being very empathetic and sympathetic now to she's being mad. Like, how dare you? Right, right. How dare you go and talk to my psychiatrist? To, to her, her but psychiatrist. Carol immediately thinks that Maud that Maud talked about, about her, her right to Doctor Stern, which right. was obviously not the case. Not the case. And Maud ends up coming out saying, "Do you remember that huge chunk of time where you don't remember a thing? That you don't even remember your mother being right. in a classroom right. with you, right. going through all of these things with you? Well, Maud remembers." Everything. That's her trauma. Maud remembers everything. She even, remembers she even holds a picture, right. I'm assuming, of her After mother. It's the mother, yes. And saying just, oh boy, do I remember. Right. So it stands to reason that Maud also suffered a significant amount of trauma from her own mother. Right. And her own whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I, I remember in, in Maud Bears Her Soul, an episode of A Ways Away. Is that the one where it's basically like a, just it's a, one it's a monologue. woman and it's a, her monologue? That, I remember that. I am Vaguely. not ninety percent positive yeah. that was the episode that got Walt the Emmy. That Probably got Walt, that got B. Arthur the Emmy for that Probably. for that episode, which is the only Emmy the show which is ever only Emmy won. the show won. She won for for best uh, actress in yeah. comedy. Yes, all because Bill Macy at one award show dropped his trousers, dropped his pants, so he was. They were not getting any. They Emmys were the, for the, anything. the Academy that cre- that. Votes for the awards. Basically said, that show will never get an Emmy. Right. And then B. Arthur ended up getting yes. at least one Emmy. She did, she, did the, she did get one Emmy. I think it was in 78. 78? That sounds so I think it was now. 78 that she uh, did a little mod research. <laughs> did a little mod research. But she did, she did, for all the seasons, she did get one Emmy for Best Actress. So It was well-deserved. Oh, God. It yes. was really well-deserved. Absolutely. Um, so that is the way the episode ends with, well, no, that's not, that's not the way the episode that, ends. That's, that's the way, what, what do they call that end scene? Oh, epilogue? I, I, yeah, epilogue. It would be that the epilogue. Right. Yeah, we'll call it an epilogue. Yes, the epilogue where they're sitting and Carol's knitting. Carol's knitting for some strange yeah, reason. Which Again, I, we never see Carol knit for the entirety of the series. That's just the one instance. And I don't. I would have never seen Marsha Rod sitting there knitting. Again, 
I would see Marsha Rod sitting down reading like the paper, paper or the TV guide right. or yeah, doing just a doing a puzzle, puzzle something. I, I guess I would say something a little bit more cerebral. Yeah. Oh, I'm on fire. That is a, that is a good word to use. Yes, a very good word to use. Cerebral. She's burning up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're having the conversation where... Maud asks, do you love me? Do you love me? And, uh, you know, in in true-to-form fashion, Maud is very vain and narcissistic. Mm -hmm. So Carol's like, of course I love you, you're my mother. Well, but what if if I wasn't your mother? Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, Maud is like, you have exactly ten seconds to tell me you love me. Because, uh, just, again, part of the character's writing, part of what makes makes the character the character. Um... Carol ends up saying, of course I love you. I would love you if you were my mother. I would love you if you were not my mother. Mm -hmm. And the final line is, all right, I believe you. Let's talk about you now, Carol. What things about me do you love? (laughs) And again, that's just just who the character is. Maud could have been a drag queen. Maud could have very <laughs> easily have been a drag queen. And, you know, well, let's talk, let's talk, let's about, talk you. about you. What is it about me that you love? What is it about me that you love? <laughs> um, <laughs> but that was, that was the entirety of the episode. And again, mm-hmm. you know, even with All in the Family's um, final episode where B. Arthur guest stars as Maud, you immediately know. Like, there was so much in that one episode. Mm-hmm. There was so much yeah. to, to unpack in that episode. Yeah. And this episode was no exception. No. There was just so much from the uh, the Vietnam jokes, mm-hmm. the, um, Psychiatry. the psychiatrist's office, the, uh, uh, the, the mother-daughter relationships, the... The, the abuse conversation. Like, there's there's just so much to unpack. Thinking like that them. Carol was having an affair. That's, yeah! That's, you would never seen anything like that in, like, you know, uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Never. Or Petticoat Junction. Never. And Acres, those type of shows. Nobody would ever make a, a, a remark like that. Never. Never, ever, never, never. So. so it just, it stands to reason that that is one of the things that makes this show so... Brilliant, because mm-hmm. every episode there's so much to unpack. Mm-hmm. There's so much to discuss because that's how the show was written. Yeah, the show was written to be a very con. I don't want to say it was written to be controversial. It was written to start the conversation. Yes, it was written so that these conversations can start to be had in these American households. Right, and. Uh, to be thought-provoking. Very thought-provoking. Very thought-provoking. I am so sorry that I am... You are just... You are slaying me I, with these words and phrases. I don't know, where it's, I don't know <laughs> where it's coming from. I truly don't. He's, she's literally absorbing everything from me. I, I, I don't know, yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah. That that brings us to the end of Maud and the Psychiatrist. The pilot episode. Now, let, let me ask, because I didn't really... I didn't, I didn't research it. Was the pilot episode the first one shown as the first Maud episode? I, I don't even... I'm not even sure. I'm... I'm pretty sure it was the second episode that was aired first. Ah. I think. I'm not 100% on that one. I'd have to do my own little bit of research. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure it was the second episode that was aired first because... 
That, uh, just... that happens a lot in TV shows. The yeah. pilot episode is not necessarily there the were first also episode you'll with, see. So because the Shout Factory now owns Maud, mm. um, they released the box set. Mm-hmm. And in the box set, there were two episodes that were recorded earlier that could have been shown earlier, mm-hmm. but they weren't. Mm. They were they were redirected, they were rewritten, uh, a little bit here and there, mm-hmm. and then they were aired later on in the series. Oh. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the hell they were, but that's... We, we will definitely touch upon that when those episodes come up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's... Yeah. That's the pi- <laughs> that was the pilot. That was the pilot episode. That was the and pilot. Wh- what a hell of a pilot episode! It was. It was very. It was very good. Very good. Very well written. Has again just a lot to a lot to digest. Yeah, a lot to digest. And again, that was probably why Maud didn't. That's probably one of the reasons why Maud didn't and hasn't done so hot because a lot of the episodes just have so much to process. Yes, so much to think about. Like I like I mentioned to you. I first started watching Water, like I want to say about 10 to, 10 to 15 years ago, and there were times when I'm like, I can't watch this episode, it's too much. Mm. Still to this day, there are some episodes that I'm like, I don't want to watch that one, I'm going to skip over it. Yeah. could get heavy. Very the show heavy. could get very, get very, very heavy. heavy. Yeah. But that's part of its charm. Yeah. That's definitely part of its charm, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I... Uh, I, obviously, I adore B. Arthur, and the more B. Arthur that I see in mainstream television, the happier I'll be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as uh, in my opinion, she is her Betty White, Rue McClanahan, Stephanie—they are so much more than than their Golden Girls counterparts. Yes, there's so much more than their Golden Girls counterparts. Like Betty White, obviously had Sue Ann Niven, right? And she had the pyramid. Ga- she had the game shows. Yes. And Rue McClanahan had Vivian, and she also did what? She did. She did a few stints on Broadway, didn't she? I believe so. Um, and she was in um, Mama's uh, Family. Um, what was it? Um, Sorted Lives. Sorted Lives, also yes. Yeah, she was great in that. Um, and Estelle Getty had Torch Song trilogy. Torch Song trilogy. And uh, I think that was about it. I think she only had towards um, some uh, or, um, She did that movie with Sylvester Stallone. Oh, stop, stop, my, my mom will shoot. Yeah, stop, my mom will shoot. <laughs> that was a that was a wonderful little movie. <laughs> but uh, you know, and B. Arthur obviously had her Broadway shows, Fiddler, Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God, there was one more, Mother's Kisses or Mother's Love or something to that effect. It didn't, it was brief. Mm-hmm. But she had that, then she had Maud, mm-hmm. then uh, just all of these, uh, all of these things that they're more than just right. the Golden Girls. Yes. So, that's what we're here for. We're here to, mm-hmm. we're here to introduce people to, to Maud in some way, shape, or form. We're expanding their horizon. <laughs> and our own, I think. And our own, definitely. Definitely so our it's, own. It's, uh, hopefully it's a fun ride that everyone will want to Join us on. Yes, we invite you. We invite you to have these conversations with us. Absolutely. And you can, we have an email now, don't we? Yes. Uh, Findley's Friendly Appliances at gmail.com. Gmail.com. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I had to, I had to make I it fun. I had to make it fun. You know, I didn't want it to, I want it to be, you know, mod related, but I didn't want no, it just to be, you know. I think it would be, you 
I would not expect you to make God will get you for that Walter at gmail.com. I know. Too long. But Finley's friendly appliance. That's it just sort of it works. flows trippingly yeah. off, off, off the tongue. Off the tongue. <laughs> it works. It works. Yeah. And actually, that was something, before we before we end the episode, that was something that, that Maud had mentioned, was that Walter was a Maytag dealer. Yes. Yeah. So we, we already know that Walter is a working husband. Yes. He is providing for the family. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, doing his thing as... A Maytag dealer at the time before he before we know that Finley's friendly appliances is a thing. Is a thing, yes. We have him be we have him be a Maytag dealer. Maytag dealer. So that is the show for today. Friends. Yes, it is. And we hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to follow us, you can at Tony Homeperm everywhere. Everywhere. And that Tomcat everywhere else. Pretty much. <laughs> that'll that'll work. That'll work. We'll see you on another episode of God'll Get You For That, Walter. Walter.